Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and this is another Total Outdoorsman Tuesday episode. We hope that you enjoyed last week as we talked about two different survival skills, how to evade and how to signal. Basically, do you want to be found or do you want to hide when you're in a survival situation? During that episode, we mentioned a great evading skill called the Dakota fire pit or Dakota fire hole. And that is what we're going to be talking about this week. That kind of gave us our idea for this topic. So we went and made one and we can't wait to share that with you. You know, Total Outdoorsman Tuesday, I'm so excited about because we actually get to go do these skills. And this skill that we went out, Brian and I, this is something we did in his backyard. Absolutely. Something you could do in your backyard. Yeah, almost right out the back door. So if you're like, these skills, I don't know much about them. Listen, listen to this podcast, and then you can literally do most of what we're talking about today in your backyard. So you definitely want you to go try it out. Yeah. But you might be asking, what is a Dakota fire pit? Yeah, kind of give us an overview. What what does that mean? Dakota fire hole, you'll hear us referring, kind of just comes out different a little bit each time, but both are the same thing. Well, let's actually talk about that. Um, so the first time that I came across the Dakota fire pit. That is what it was called. And it was from the survival manual, the FM 2176 survival manual. Um, you can buy those today. You can actually buy that on Amazon if you're interested in it. Um, but inside there, it talked about the Dakota fire pit. And so today, when you research what we're talking about, you're also going to see that it says Dakota fire hole. And so which is it? It really kind of comes down to the whole verbiage of words. A hole, by definition, is a hollow place in a solid body or surface. That fits. Right, so it fits in what we're building today. But if you think about the definition of hole, it says a hollow place. So then let's look at the definition of hollow. It says having a hole or empty space inside. So that's what hollow means, right? So (laughs) it's funny that when you get to defining words, you have words defining words that are defining the same word. And so when we look at the word pit then, a pit is a large hole in the ground. Huh. So this this is more of a hole. This is more of a hole because to me it's not a large hole. Right. <laughs> so then, yeah, again, subjective, what's large and what's small. That's right. So fast forwarding to putting all this together, the Dakota fire pit slash hole is where you're making two holes in the ground connected by a channel below, and that's what it is. That's it. And so you can call it what you want to, but Dakota is really, I think, the most important part of what we're talking about because that's really kind of where it came from. Brian, can you right. tell us a little bit of the history of the Dakota fire hole? Yeah, well, the the Dakota tribe of Native Americans, they were a northern tribe, up like Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, out in those kind of plainsy, northern, cold and windy areas is really what you want to think. And just having a above-ground fire, one, didn't work very well. It wasn't really very efficient. And two, it was dangerous. They didn't want to burn down their plains where they lived, their home, where their where their food was, where they put up their camps. They didn't want to burn it down. Well, help us. How could they burn a prairie down? How would that even how how does that even work? Well, especially in the dormant winter months, which if you know anything about the north is a long time. Those grasses are dry and they're dormant. They don't have water flowing through them. So 
if it is windy and you build a fire on the ground and it blows the fire into dry grasses, then it literally spreads like wild fire. Ooh, wildfire. That's a good one. <laughs> but I honestly want you to share a little bit more because this is something that you talk about in almost any kind of deer management plan that even the natives made fire. They used fire. And what's so awesome is when we look at God's creation, what is out there is designed to Yeah, it's designed. It's it's designed to burn. The the practice of prescribed fire to manage your land that comes from the Native Americans. It's an it's an ancient practice, but it's super applicable today. And as a matter of fact, I wish more people would use it and it is gaining popularity again, which is great because it's cheap. You just have to know the skill and how to do it. Um, but yeah, it is designed to burn, especially in those dormant seasons, again, when, when things are dry. But when you are burning, you don't want to do it on a super windy day because it can get out of control and fire is going to go in the direction of the wind. So as the wind's blowing, that fire is going to take off in that direction. And they, they had an understanding and a respect for fire because it was a tool that they used every single day. So they came up with this this idea of of digging down under the ground. But again, if you dug just a pit which was just a singular hole, a big hole in the ground, then you're going to have wind blowing over the top of it. And really that fire is never going to get any oxygen or air. It's going to suffocate and go out and it's going to smoke a whole bunch too. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about the Native Americans, there was always intertribal wars and battles. And then Europeans came in, were going after them. They kind of wanted to be incognito. So big plumes of smoke wasn't a great thing for them either. So what they found by digging this Dakota fire pit two holes connected by a tunnel, they could feed a super hot fire that they could cook over very easily without having to suspend any cooking things in the air. And I think probably as a byproduct, they found out it was essentially smokeless. Mm -hmm. You know, you described a lot about the fire already, and there's even more I want to get into. But I do want to go back just a little bit and kind of talk through each of the steps of how to make this thing so that you listening can can visualize along with us while listening to how to make it. Um, if you are interested in making this. Yeah. We'll put up a video on our social as well of, yeah. of you kind of talking through the step-by-step and, and actually letting you see the fire pit that we made. Yeah. and Fire hole, sorry. Either way, they're both the same thing. <laughs> um, I know that we're, we'll be saying pit and hole back and forth. Um, you know, I think for me, why I have started to say hole and use that more is this pit concept. When people use the name fire pit, it mm. kind of goes along with what's called a fire ring. Right. And and there's some differences in that. A, a fire ring really has nothing to do for that physical fire. That The ring of rocks that you're out making for this fire ring this, that some people call a fire pit. Um, Wait, it's not there to keep the fire from spreading out of the... They could have just made a rock rock ring and then the fire would not go out of that, right? Well, that's what people think. They think that when you put rocks in a circle and you make a fire within these rocks that it keeps the fire from getting hey, out. Hey, I'm people, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's say it this way. Um, the ring itself is not designed to keep the fire in. That's not what it's for. You could make a pit today to keep the fire in. So, for example, you can go to the store and build a fire pit. They're usually off the ground, and it's going to keep the fire in that pit. But it can still get out, just like it can in a fire ring. Because when you get wildfires from campfires, it's not from them escaping right there and and burning off a line all the way off into the wilderness. It's whenever they spark and pop, you have these embers floating through the air that are still on fire. And when they land outside of your fire pit, 
that's what that's what starts our wildfires. And so the ring itself, what that is for is designed to keep people making fires in the same place over and over again for two reasons. One, it is an eyesore in any kind of park, in any establishment, when you look out and you see nothing but burnt ground everywhere, all these spots of campfires, right? So we want to minimize campfire impacts, and that is one way to do it, to establish this is where the fire goes in this ring. Number two is it also kind of helps. It's a barrier for, honestly, like people. Like I like to have them for my children because I can tell my kids, hey, only walk up to the rocks. That's as far as you need to go. It kind of establishes this barrier for my kids then into the fire. And so the Dakota fire pit is different than a fire ring, and it's definitely different than a fire pit. This is this is truly designed for an efficient fire making that does become smokeless and is an efficient way to cook food over. Mm-hmm. So those are two big reasons why knowing how to make a Dakota fire hole is so important because it isn't just about evading. It's also a tool that can be used today that you can use as a stove and it can minimize your possibility of wildfires. Right. Yeah. And and again, knowing skills is always great, but I just want to say that even if you don't think you'll ever use this or you're like, I have, there is no reason I'll ever need to cook over a fire or build a smokeless fire. You're probably right. But I will say this. I had so much fun doing this yesterday as we went out to do this skill. It was really fun just to go out and do this and, and, and cook over it. And I can say that because Ben dug the hole. I did all I, the work. <laughs> <laughs> I did all the work. He dug the hole. I cooked, and it you was did. fair and square. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You went and gathered some supplies. Yeah, I, I was job. a supply gatherer. You know, you said digging the hole. It really is that simple. It really is. But there there are a few things that I want to share on the how. Like, how do we do this? How did we, how did we do it? But what are the specs for this? And so the U.S. Military Field Manual, again, the FM-2176, it's kind of the first that I've seen that lays out these standards of dimensions. At the end of the day, if you go literally make two holes, whatever size you want, and connect them with a tunnel underneath, right. you've got a Dakota fire pit. Yes. But I want you to think through some of this of why these sizes are the way they are. So you have one hole that needs to be your airflow, and the other hole is going to be where you're actually cooking over and where the, the heat and the flames will be. So you're going to make two separate holes. 10 inches apart on top, right? Yeah, 8 to 10 inches apart. And remember, when we say apart, what's in between those two holes is going to be like a bridge. The 10 inches or 8 to 10 inches that you leave of earth between the two holes, you're going to be digging underneath that. There's going to be a channel underneath that, so it's not going to be able to load bear a bunch of weight. So you're not going to be able to walk on it or... or or put a bunch of stack a bunch of heavy firewood on it, or even your pot. You really want to keep off of that so that it doesn't collapse. Because if it does collapse, guess what? You got to start over, and not in the same spot. You got to move and start over. Right. I'm gonna say that I would probably go at least eight inches deep, if not ten inches deep, in regards to your your connection point there. Because if you start getting shallower than that, then this separation between the two holes may collapse mm-hmm. and your tunnel's gone. You've totally caved in your your tunnel. So you want that pretty thick, and that's going to help you to remember 
how big, how deep your holes need to be. So if you're going to take a, a, a normal eight inch shovel that we used, you know, that's eight inches wide, that can be a reference for you as you're building your thing. That gives you eight inches, but you want to go down basically on your first hole, you want to go down, I'm going to say about 12, probably 10 to 12 inches deep on this, your first hole. This is the hole that you're actually going to be putting the fire in and cooking over if you're cooking. It is. And, and, you want to be careful in building your very first hole and how you're doing that because the very opening, the opening of it, you want between 6 to 14 inches. Well, Ben, why so drastic? Well, how big's your pot? Hmm. If your pot, if you're going to use a Dutch oven on this thing and your pot is a 10-inch or a 12-inch, then you want the opening of your fire hole to be smaller than that. Mm-hmm. You really do. If you're, you make it too big for your pot, there are some ways to work around that, and we'll talk about that. But when you're preparing your hole, it's a whole lot better to start with it small because you can always make it bigger. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to make it smaller. So when they say 6 to 14 inches on your opening, take heed on that. If it's the width of your shovel, 8 inches, because that's how you're going to make a circle, As you're, then that's, that's what you're creating. Right. But the tip for that is at the base, the very bottom of your first hole, you do want that to be wider. So once you dig down to 10 to 12 inches, start digging out deeper a little bit more. You know, kind of like a... You almost make... Um, think of a beaker, like a science beaker that you would mix in, in chemistry class. You want that shape where the neck is skinnier and then at the bottom it goes down to a wider base, like bell-bottom jeans maybe, well, was, that kind of shape. I was going to say a pear instead of an apple. There you go. Yeah, yeah. like that. <laughs> no apple-bottom jeans, just the pear. Yeah, so so we have the pear. Um, and then from that very bottom, you've got to start making your tunnel to your other hole. But you're not going to know where to make that tunnel yet until you make your second hole. So you want to measure 8 you know, to 10 inches away from your first hole before you start making your second hole. So now that you have your, your distance established, you're going to start digging your second hole. Now, you can look up so many different images on this. You're going to find so many different um, drawings. And you're going to find so many different images of people that are recreating these things size of your second hole truly doesn't matter but what seems to matter or what was for us was how big the hole was the tunnel how big is the tunnel connecting the two holes that's connecting the two holes that was that was really kind of key for us and so six to eight inches is probably going to be a good start for your tunnel that connects the two that's how wide you want it to be in regards to the airflow coming from the ground how big that circle is I don't know if it really matters. You know, if you're going to start shoving fuel wood from that side, you may have to have a little bit bigger. If you're trying to probably make a, a really good smokeless, then you're going to have to find a happy medium. It needs yeah. enough airflow to make it smokeless. Um, Eight inches in diameter is is the size reference I see the most. But again, it, it doesn't truly matter as long as it, it's working. One thing that does matter, and we actually did this wrong, Ben, is the positioning of those holes. Mm-hmm. So you want to have your your second hole or uh, the airflow hole, the one the fire is not in, you want that to be on the, uh, I guess, upwind side. So you, the, if the wind is coming from the west, you want that breathing hole on the west side. You want the wind to be blowing over it and down into it, feeding your fire. Yeah, you're right, Brian. We did set this up kind of backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, it did work for us. And, and matter of fact, as we were standing there, 
as the wind was coming out of the east, we had put our second hole towards the west. And so, again, that was wrong. But I was like, man, Brian, look at this thing. We still had some really awesome airflow, and you could see the fire coming up out of that hole like the airflow was pushing in. Mm -hmm. It worked out very well. So I'm trying to say this in a way of you're going to have to set it up the best that you can set it up. If you're trying to make a smokeless fire so that no one knows that you have a fire and, and you're you're not wanting to be found, you can try to play to that wind, but you may not be able to. It, it really depends on the situation. And what I mean by that is do you have proper soil to even make this thing? That's the first thing you're going to have done. Do I have proper soil right here for me to even make two holes? Right. If, if it's sandy... It's just going to collapse. Right. If it's a sandy rocky, this isn't going to work. It isn't. You're not going to be able to pull it off. The other side of that is if it's too rocky or too hard, too compacted, do I have a tool that I can even dig two holes this size into? And that's why when we were saying the inches of, of your opening needs to be eight inches or smaller, if we said six inches, the issue with that is what is your digging device? How wide is it? Are you digging by hand? Are you digging by trowel? Are you digging by shovel? Are you digging by? Yeah. Do you have a stick or a rock? What right. Are you, what are you digging with And here? so, you know, your dimensions of this can be tough, but we're just trying to, to give you this idea that your cooking spot needs to be larger than your airflow hole, and the tunnel that's connecting those two together need to be, I'm going to say, between six to eight inches for proper airflow. Yes. You know, you want to be careful when digging your hole, This your, your connecting tunnel, the, the soil above your connecting tunnel can collapse, and if... You're putting a lot of force on it while you're digging. You can cause that to collapse even quicker. And so you just got to be gentle. You got to be careful. You want to get down to about 10 to 12 inches deep in that hole so that you have enough space to start adding wood. Yeah, building a fire. Now that you have your two holes set, your connecting tunnel, my question for you is why are you making this fire? Are you planning on cooking over it? Are you wanting to use it for drying your clothes out? Are you using it for to keep warm? I don't know. If you're cooking, if you're doing this under a tree, well, then you can actually hang your pots from the tree and cook over it. But why this Dakota fire hole is so awesome is that you don't have to have any kind of tripod. You don't have to have a tree or paracord. You don't have to hang any kind of pots. You can literally set your pot right over that hole and cook over it. Yes. And it's a hot fire really fast. That is another pro to the Dakota Fire Pit is that all your heat can go, or all your heat has to go where, Brian? It's going straight up out of that first fire hole that you built. It's not escaping or dissipating at all. It's going straight up to, if you put a pot over it, that pot is catching most of that heat. It is so efficient. I mean, it is one of the most efficient fire holes that there is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm thinking about growing up, we had wood-burning stove in the house, and we lost a lot of heat out our chimney. We lost a lot of heat because all that heat is rising up out of your chimney, but with this Dakota fire hole, that is literally where all the heat is going is straight up from mm -hmm. that fire, and that's why it's so efficient to cook over. It's so efficient to dry your clothes out. Um, with the airflow of that drawing in, that's what's going to help that to be not sm – uh, that's what's going to help it to be smokeless. We should talk about that smokeless statement for a second because people are probably thinking, how can a fire be truly smokeless? And when we say smokeless, we could should say it with quotations because anytime you're starting a fire, there is going to be a little smoke. And with any fire, there is 
smoke. However, there is so little amount of smoke with this type of fire that it is considered smokeless. But there are things you can do with positioning and where you do this that can make it even more smokeless if you're truly trying to evade. What are some things that we can do in relation to where we actually build this pit at? What's hard is in the very beginning, you have to watch out for your soil because your soil is always going to have water in it. And when you're digging up the soil and you're placing it to the side, when you start putting your your tender and kindling down the bottom to start your fire, you're going to get a little bit of smoke because the ground's wet, the soil's wet, like it's laying on top of it. So, so you can't place leaves down as a barrier because they're going to smoke, mm-hmm. smoke real bad. You want to keep those things out. So what they're going to teach you here, when you are building a fire, you're going to hear people that make fires by setting up um, TPs. They're going to set up these TP bundles. That is going to help you in the beginning to get a fire without it smoking because it's still up off of the soil. So that is a tip when making one. You want to TP your wood to minimize your smoke. Also, you want to remove bark off of your wood. You don't want any kind of green vegetation in there. <laughs> Something that, that I noticed when we made ours is that we made a very hot fire using minimal amounts of wood. We didn't hardly use much wood and it got hot and it got hot fast. And it started catching some of the dead grasses on top of our hole. It caught them on fire. It lit them up. And when it did so, it made a little bit of smoke. The coolest part though, is that the smoke that it did make was so minimal that you really couldn't see it. You and I could see it. We were watching for it, but because it's right on the ground or it's underground, because that smoke comes right up out of the hole, it actually stays right there on the bottom along the ground and kind of dissipates. Mm -hmm. But another tip to help dissipate your smoke is to make this underneath a tree limb or or multiple limbs right. because as your smoke and even that heat rises, the leaves, the limbs will help dissipate that smoke to really help you to be more invisible. Yeah, and once you get your fire going and it's good and hot, I mean, gosh, smokeless I think is a good word. It There just is not much smoke there at all, and the fire, again, gets hot really fast, so For us, we decided, you know what? We built this. Let's cook over it. So we did. We got our cast iron pot. We brought it down. But what we found, which was was my error, you asked before we started digging, hey, how big cast iron pot do you have? And I said, oh, I got a 12-inch pot. And then so you dug the hole about 12 inches in diameter. And when I was carrying down my pot, I realized I had a 10-inch pot. And I got down there and I said, man, this is not going to work. And measured it real quick. And if I dropped the pot, it was going to go down on top of the fire. So we got a couple of flat rocks and positioned one on each side. And that actually allowed us to put the pot over the fire Mm -hmm. and cook without having it fall in as well. You still had some uh, air pockets and stuff for that fire to to breathe, uh, even though it's being fed by the other side. But once we put that pot on there, it's kind of cool to step back and look because it just looks like a pot sitting on the ground. It doesn't even look like there's a fire. You don't see smoke. You don't see flame. So why is there a pot sitting on the ground? And then you can put food in there and take the lid off and have this sizzling food inside, but it doesn't look like there's a fire anywhere. You know, that is that is one of the coolest parts is the smokeless. It really is. But you are describing that it is designed. It is a stove type fire pit. That's really what it is. It's so efficient at cooking. Um, The smokeless side, I mean, you think about it. You're sitting there. You're cooking over this thing. You couldn't do that if there was tons of smoke rolling out. Mm -mm. When Brian and I are teaching fire making and and we go out and teach these kids, when they start seeing smoke, that is the one thing that we tell them is, well, actually, we ask them the question first. 
you see the smoke. Why is this fire smoking? What is it asking for? What does it need? And people usually say, that means there's fire. That's yeah, what we hear yeah, so often. Yeah, Where like, there's smoke, there's fire. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're, right, you're right, but it's needing something. It's suffocating. Yeah. What does it need? Needs oxygen. And it needs oxygen. And by creating this second hole with this tunnel, you are giving it the amount of oxygen that it needs to burn efficiently. And I, I just can't describe it to you guys. You need to go out and experience it because it is a rip roaring fire and it does not take a lot of wood. Mm-mm. We used some twiggies to get it started. We threw a couple bigger sticks on about the size of our wrists and it was enough to begin cooking in right. within two, three minutes. Yeah. And we, and we didn't have a whole lot of time, so we didn't whip up a big meal. We we're really kind of just having a, an afternoon snack, but grabbed a couple eggs that the chickens had laid that afternoon and threw them in and fried them real quick in, in the pot just to make sure we were completing our task. I think you had just pulled out of the nest. Yeah, it was fresh that day. It was a yeah. fresh egg. Um, yeah, it just didn't taste it. And it broke my heart because Brian is over here talking about how amazing this thing tasted. And we didn't even add any salt and pepper. No. It was just a, a fried egg over a, a really small fire. So, it, But we decided it's because we're outdoors. When you cook food outdoors, it makes the food taste better. It's like the best seasoning for your food ever is outdoors. Well, there was some seasoning. It You had a little grass. A little, <laughs> you had I some picked, grass I in there. I grass out. <laughs> Um, you know, the Dakota fire pit, the Dakota fire hole, however you want to call it. I want to recap a few things. Like Brian's saying, it is smokeless. That is so awesome. Number two, the heat has nowhere to go up, so it's so efficient as a fire cooking system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also, it does keep from that fire jumping. You know, I don't have to go out and make this ring for people to use over and over again. And it's contained. And I think that's why the natives used it. It is so efficient, and it contains your fire... You're not worried about these things popping out to the left and right and catching other vegetation, other tenders and kindling on fire. Also, when you don't have a place to hang a pot to cook on, you can do that with this fire. But what's an instance when you may be in that situation? Because somebody's probably saying, why not just make a tripod or, or why not just hang it from a limb? Well, I mean, for the Dakota tribe, they're a prairie they lived in the prairies. Right. You don't find trees in the prairies. That's why it's called a prairie. You know, for us that maybe aren't in the wood line, you know, if we're thinking about modern day today, you're probably for the most part going to be able to make this somehow around trees. But there are some areas when we talked about you must have proper soil conditions. And so if you're looking at bottoms of rivers and creeks, there's a lot of sandy bottoms that you cannot make this. It will collapse. You cannot create two holes with the tunnel system. It falls apart. And I can identify, I can think of several places here in the Ozarks where we've got so much, I'm going to call soot and sand. It's this loose bottom. It's usually where all the sycamores are growing. This whole bottom, this floodplain area, I would not be able to make this style. I'd have to come back out out of that type of um, soil condition up into the areas where you actually have some good yeah. topsoil. Some more, yeah, rocky, clay, topsoil areas out of that sandy, loamy stuff that is going to collapse on you. But another thing that I think of is if you ever found yourself in a situation where you didn't have any cordage, for all those other things, to hang a pot over a limb or even to make a tripod, you need cordage. And if you found yourself in a situation where you didn't have cordage or maybe the only cordage you had was your boot string and you needed to wear your boot, well, then just dig a Dakota fire pit and you can set your pot right over the fire. It's a really efficient way to cook and you can do it with limited resources. I think that is another bonus of it. You don't have to have a bunch of survival resources to be able to dig a hole. 
you can find a stick or a rock anywhere to be able to dig, dig a hole. If you're able to start this fire and have something to cook in, you're good. Right. You know, before I talk about how to clean this thing up, because that's a huge piece of this, of the Dakota fire pit, you know, Brian's been talking about the evading of, of using this in a situation where you don't want to be found, and but you need a fire. You need to cook over it. You need to keep warm, dry your clothes, whatever, but you're not wanting to be found because it is smokeless. But you can also almost leave an area better than you found it by using this style because you can take a tarp, a sheet, you could use your, your shirt, your jacket, a blanket, something to hold all of the soil that you just dug up. So as you're digging and making your two holes and your connection tunnel, all of that dirt needs to go on top of your tarp, blanket, or shirt. By keeping it there, then you're going to be able to put them back in the holes more efficiently when you're done with it. Right. And then it's not going to leave this big mess on the ground. So people that are coming by can say, man, somebody did something here. We're on the right track. You essentially, if you're evading, the reason you don't want smoke or big flames is for people not to see you. You don't want them to come there after and be like, well, somebody dug a hole here. You want right. it to look completely like nobody was there. Right. And to add to that, if we need to leave quickly for some reason, any kind of reason, you can grab and dump that soil over the top of your fire and it is out in an instant. You completely take every bit of oxygen out of it, smother yeah. it, and it's underground, it's it's hidden, it's gone, it's done. And not smoking. If if you have a fire and a ring going and you need to leave that fire and you're pouring water on it and try, oh, even, yeah. even throwing dirt and water on it, it is going to smoke. It's going to smoke for hours, maybe even days, depending on how hot the coals were. With the Dakota fire pit, you have smothered that thing completely. You now have coals that are a foot underground. Nobody's going to smell or have any idea that there was a fire there. Right. If you were to make this in the forest where there's a lot of leaves, you're going to move all your leaves back. I mean, you want to move every leaf that you're going to be standing on. Then after you collect all your soil, you can do your work, do your cooking. Once you're finished, you're going to place all of that soil back in both holes. Now, Brian, as we did it, discovered that soil compaction caused us to have extra soil or extra dirt right. when we were finished because it wasn't as compressed as it was when we were digging it up. Yeah, even though as I was shoveling it back into the hole, I was every so often I would stop and st and stomp it trying to compress it, but our soil was so compacted and in most places it is that when you remove it and you go to put it back, you're going to have more than you're going to have more extra. You're going to have excess excess than what actually filled the hole uh, because you've turned it really back into what soil is supposed to be like, nice and, right. and loose and airy. You know, once you've done that, though, and you've placed everything back in and even your extra soil back on top, now you can move your leaves back over the top and you can become somewhat invisible. I mean, you've done the best you could to evade in that moment. Um, you know, some things, though, that, that might cause problems is you do kill the ground when you make a fire on top of the ground. You do. So that is another reason for why we have fire rings is because it kills, I'm going to say, at least eight, eight inches below the ground. When you have a several hundred degree fire on top of the ground, it's going to kill all the bacteria, all the life forms, all everything that's underneath life, it. Yeah, yeah. It, it kills it. It messes up that soil. And so you don't want to do that all over the land. You want to minimize it to a few spots. Hence why we say use that ring. When you see a fire ring, someone's already made a fire in it, then keep using it. That's mm -hmm. what the rocks are for but a fire can still escape. Now, with this style of fire, you've cleaned it up the best you can. You know, 
I think the, 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 there are some negatives to it, though, that, that can harm you, that, that doesn't always work. And let me share some of those. So we've already shared the one con with this is that you must have proper soil conditions. So it's not going to be able to be used everywhere. You're going to have to find those places. And I want to say that we lucked out. I'll just say we were blessed with where we picked because it was some of the softest, easiest, had a few rocks, but not a lot. But for the Ozarks, it was a good place to dig. For the Ozarks, guys, it was perfect. It was amazing. There's areas that I've been for that when you, you're hitting, I'm going to say it's rock bottom. Like there, you can't get through yeah. it. I broke the point off of many a shovel. There you go. You know, you aren't going to be able to make this everywhere. So that is kind of a con. Another is, is that depending on how long you're using this fire for, it does fill up with ash. The more logs that you're placing in there, the more that it burns up, it has nowhere to go. If if you've seen a normal firing, when you get finished with it, you've got a mound of, I don't know, six to eight inches of ash that's just mound up there that has nowhere to go, but just to build up. That happens in the hole and you will have to remove that um, at some point, depending on how long you're wanting to use this fire for, you know, some other, some other disadvantages is that depending on your weather, it can fill up with water. So mm. as you're digging holes, as you're making holes, especially. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Whenever, yeah. whenever Brian has talked before about where our water tables are at, you know, when you're looking for water in a survival situation, you can, you can find the bank of a Creek and you can dig down and you'll eventually get some seepage in from some water. And so, as you're trying to make this, water could actually come in depending on how low of an area that you're digging this. But weather, if it's starting to rain outside, depending on where you made it again, you know, Brian and I made it in the lowest part here yeah. in his backyard. If it was to rain enough, it would have completely filled both of our holes because I have seen this bottom out here. I was going to say, where we built that, I've seen where I could kayak down that hole. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he's not exaggerating. He could kayak. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the overflow to a pond that's that's up over the hill there. And, yeah. and there's a lot of water that comes down through here. So it would have put our fire out. We would have been done. Um, so that's kind of a, a con to that. Also, you really need to have a tool to do this. I know we've said rocks. I know we've said hands and I know we've said sticks. Those are tools. You can use those, but to make this as efficient. Yeah, that, and, would, that would be like a just desperation. I have nothing. Right. I can't get caught by these people. I have to have a fire to get water or food. I'm going to dig this hole with this stick that I found. That is just total desperation evading right. survival situation. Yeah. Cause if you and I just need to make a fire, we're just going to do that right on top of the ground. Right. And, and that's going to be more efficient energy-wise by just doing it than digging these mm-hmm. holes. So if you're needing to make this, having a trowel, having a shovel, those would be so beneficial to make this Dakota fire hole. It doesn't take a lot other than that. I mean, you had one eight-inch spade shovel, and you were able to dig both holes and the interconnecting tunnel in between with, with just the shovel because you, you started to dig that angle at the bottom, which your air hole, you really want that to be at an angle anyway, so it works out really well that you can connect it even with a big shovel. Don't think you have to have a big shovel and a trowel and a pick and all these things to get through. Would all those things make it easier and faster? Maybe but you don't have to have all those things and haul all those out just to be able to practice this skill. You know what, Brian, we've shared a lot of information here. You know, I think one little skill is a lot of, (laughs) a lot of info, you know, it is. And, and this series is going to be so fun because we get to talk through how to do these things and we get to go do them and we get to go do them. And, but we really, really, really want you to go out and do these. We hope that the information we give you is enough. You know, we have given you enough information to go out 
to do this. And the cool part is, is that you don't have to do it exactly like we did. You're going to find ways that may work better for you, ways that may work better in your environment, in your situation. What we want the most is that you go out and learn how to do it physically, not just knowing it in your head, but how to go out and do it physically. And you're going to find out that it's really fun. One, you're outdoors. Invite somebody to show them with you. Uh, Show off these skills. Show off what you've learned listening to the podcast. Uh, You can find the video that we're going to put up of this on our social media accounts. It's also a great way to support us. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, follow all of those. We'll put some videos up of that on all those platforms. Whatever platform that you listen to the podcast on, please hit the automatic download and subscribe button. Share it with your friends so that they can listen too. Also, if you would take just an extra minute when you're done listening today, leave us a review on the platform that you're listening on. It really helps us to move up the charts so that when people are searching things in our genre, it helps them to find our podcast. And we really want that and we really need that. And and you can help us do that. So we'd be so grateful for that. Financially, if you feel so inclined to support us financially, we have a link tree. Um, It's just a hyperlink on all of our social media accounts. And once you click on that, it's going to give you an option for our website and our TikTok and our Instagram. But you're going to look for the Patreon one. Click on the Patreon one. It'll take you to a page where you can sign up uh, to pledge $5, $10, or $25 a month to help support the Men to Be Outdoors podcast. We are so thankful that you listened today. We hope that you go outdoors and try the skill. We will be back again on Thursday with a brand new episode. And between now and that time, we hope that you find time to get outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.